Okay, so as you can hear, the fortress is under attack. I'm holed up in a bunker, so hopefully safe. There's quite a few people with me in hiding. We're not sure if people know we're here. Over the past week, the fortress has taken an absolute battering because of what we thought was a seemingly innocuous conversation about I Should Be So Lucky, the musical, which is touring around the UK at the moment. Now, I just thought I was sitting on a park bench with our good friend of the show, Lee. By the way, I don't know where Lee is. I hope he's okay. And this conversation, which we just thought was nothing, has caused people to take to the streets and storm the fortress. Now, they're not friends of pop culture. I'll make that really clear. You are the friends of pop culture. You know that being able to voice your opinion about the world of pop culture is our privilege, it's our right, and we will stand up for that right. I will go to the death to speak about the truth of pop culture, to have an opinion, to disagree to let one person believe that mind your bee is the holy grail whilst the rest of the world spits on it. We will stand up for that right. Now that conversation we had last week, we have not taken it down despite the many people who want us to. So you're probably wondering how we got here. Well, we just wanted to talk about one person's view of I Should Be So Lucky, the musical, and I wanted to hear it because I can't be there. I'm on the other side of the planet. And I heard all about it, and the review was not so favourable. And as soon as it went up, we were inundated with people who had been to the show who had enjoyed it. Now, I'm not going to lie, the bulk of those people just gave their view and disagreed, and that's okay. But then the radicals got their hands on it. Some of them openly admitting that they had a vested interest in the show. And they fired their grenades. And they tried to rally the troops. And they've been fairly successful, I must say, as you can hear. So as the general in charge, how did I handle this? Well, I'll tell you how I handled it. I reached out to every person who left a negative comment on social media and I offered them a chance to come into the fortress and correct things to give their point of view. And some of them took me up on it. <laughs> on my little tape recorder here, I'm going to play it to you. Because that's what the fortress stands for. Balance, accountability, opinions and freedom of speech. So I'll play those for you really soon, but not before I tell you about some of those people who are, as you can hear, still laying siege to your fortress. Facebook user Luke Nutley, he opened acknowledged that he hadn't listened to the conversation, but he took issue with the podcast's title. And I reached out to Luke Nutley and I said to him, do you want to come into the fortress? Do you want to talk about this? And let me tell you what he told me. No, he said. No interest in negativity or amateur media as someone who has worked in the biz for 30 years. Thanks, though. Don't you just love it? Even as I'm under siege, I'm still amused by the shameless self-promotion. I'm in the biz, he told me. And what do you make of this? I'm so curious to know what you think. Luke Nutley 
who I believe was so vicious in his feedback, acknowledges that he hasn't even listened to the podcast. What do you make of that? So hot under the collar, so rude. But then he tells everyone, no, he didn't bother to listen. And then what did Mr. Nutley do? He took the private messages that I sent him and he posted them online. And that was the beginning of how we ended up here. Now, let me make this clear. I may be held up here in the fortress under attack, but I understand why some of you were outraged by that conversation. Because if you went to the show and you saw it and it filled your heart with joy, it would be hard to hear somebody else saying they didn't enjoy it as much as you. I understand that. And furthermore, if you are someone who worked on the show and put your heart into it and then heard that review, I understand that would be hard. So today, on this little tape recorder, I will play you reviews that will balance the situation out. I am offering you a peace deal. Let me play these recordings to you and back away from the fortress. Let us live in peace again. We mean no harm. Now, even though we are in unusual circumstances here, I will still shout out to all of you who have given your love and your prayers to Will. Many, many people have reached out to me to say that they heard Will talk and that their heart broke for him. Will is a gay man living in Sydney, Australia with a very modern tale of homelessness. Have a listen. What do you want people to know, Will? I want people to know that homelessness exists beyond the cardboard box guide out the front of the train station. Um, Homelessness exists um, for many different reasons. Not all homelessness, including myself, is for drugs. I'm not homeless because of drug use. I'm not homeless because of alcohol use. I am homeless because of a greedy landlord and a system that wasn't set up to help people in my situation. I'm homeless because there is not enough houses, and I'm homeless and scared because I don't have time to worry about my safety. And I'm homeless, and I'm now really scared for my own mental health that I won't be alive for Christmas this year because it is so dire. And and just to to have a bit more thought and a bit more care and if you know anyone who's struggling please just ask them how they are and listen to them because it's it would mean a lot to them just to be asked how they're feeling and how they're coping and if there's anything you can do because right now i don't even have that i'm by myself a lot Now, if you want to go back and listen to Will's full story, I encourage you to do so. You'll find it in our vaults. But for now, believe it or not, I'm going to lower the drawbridge. Please come across quickly and follow the little trail of Betty Boo seven inches that I've left that will lead you to this very safe bunker. I can assure you, you are safe. Coming to you from the mountain fortress of pop culture. You're listening to Time to Talk, 
artists seem to get in the way of the music. Get out of the way of the music. James, welcome to the Fortress. <laughs> Hi, okay. Welcome in. It's nice to hear your voice. It's it's a bit of a croaky and coffee voice, I'm afraid, but uh, this is me. Ooh, have you been up to no good? <laughs> uh, no, not exactly up to no good. Uh, unfortunately, I, I must have caught something. That there's there's a lot of cough and colds going around Scotland, which is where I am. So uh, I've, I'm bearing the brunt of it, unfortunately, at the moment. You've generously agreed to come on the show because... One thing that we hadn't anticipated from the last podcast, hand on heart, had not anticipated, was the the backlash. People are really upset. Apparently, the review uh, from Lee, who went to the I Should Be So Lucky musical, yeah. was harsh, according to a lot of people who are writing to us. So we're trying to get a bit of balance here. We know that you've been to the show because you left a comment about the I fact did, that you yeah, loved I was the there. show. I was there last night. Ah, last night. Excellent. And tell us about it. What's your review of the show? It, well, uh, to be perfectly honest, the, the, the reason I commented, because uh, it, it literally, that is the only negative comment I've seen or heard. But James, um, can I'm, I pick you up on that straight off the bat? Because a few people have written and said they've never heard anything bad until that podcast. And it's like, have you not picked up the newspapers? The newspapers are universally negative about this musical. The official reviews are not positive. Well, <clears throat> let, let's be very honest. When it comes to newspapers, they're a dying art these days. That's why they, they're now officially called legacy media. And when it comes to critics um i tend to find that um i don't believe half the t half the things that they they say because they don't come at it from the same point of view i think when it comes to this i i mean let well let, let's face it i i went last night last night was the the last night of its its first run in manchester uh, it went it, it's run for four weeks and the place was still packed four weeks in a regional theatre in Manchester. And people were laughing, singing, dancing. And it, it, it really is a feel of musical. If you are going to look for a piece of arty theatre, you're not going to find it. But then you're never going to with something like this. It is what they call a jukebox musical. Um. And I think it's been done very, very well. The story is is light but funny, and it is funny. It's, it's, I mean, on, honestly, like I said at the beginning of our chat, I've got a nasty cough and cold, and, and unfortunately every laugh sends me into awful coughing fits. I was in coughing fits all night because it made me laugh all night long. There's a little bit of um, adult language, shall we say, that adds to the, the frisson of what you're watching, there, there's a few opportunities, maybe, that you might think a, a song is shoehorned in. But then I felt that with Mamma Mia, which I absolutely adore. And all um, musicals, right? All musicals have an element of that. Exactly, exactly. But some of the, some of the music, some, some of the, the songs, the way they've been, uh, they're told as part of this story are beautiful. Some of the songs are unexpected. The Heaven I Need, for goodness sake, from the Three Degrees, I would never have expected to, to have heard in there, was fantastic. Telltale Signs, which is from Kylie's second album, is in there. Um, 
a, a personal favourite of mine, If You Were With Me Now by Kylie and Keith Washington, um, was absolutely, st- it, that was one of the standout moments for me. It was a very beautiful moment where the key character is singing If You Were With Me Now, but in like a dream sequence so that the uh, husband or, or would-be husband comes in as a, as a like, almost like a, a, a dream character. Absolutely beautiful. It really was beautiful. But some of the, the you know, some of the, the funny elements were just brilliant. I think the cast were brilliant. The songs were brilliant. The, 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 the actual performance was brilliant. And I was sat, um, what was that? I was in row S of the stalls. So I had a good view of uh, the audience. And I could hear they were laughing. I could hear, certainly hear they were singing. And I certainly saw them with myself up dancing. It it was a feel-good show that I could not recommend highly enough, honestly. So the atmosphere in the in the theatre was really positive and upbeat and uh, everything it needed to be, right? Absolutely, absolutely. It, it, it really did remind me that the first time I went to see Mamma Mia, and, you know, and I think there are very direct comparisons with Mamma Mia in that, you know, it is a, a similar story. It involves weddings and love and all that kind of stuff. Um, but obviously, you, you, you know, you're involving a legacy of music from ABBA, a legacy of music from Stock Aiken and Waterman. So I think there are direct comparisons. And I remember I went to see it. I think it had only been performing for maybe about six months, 12 months, something like that. It was way, way, way back in, goodness me, I think it was 2002, 2003, I went to see it first. And the comparison was absolutely direct. People were loving the show. And interestingly, I'm, you know, I'm 47 and I'm very free to admit that I'm 47. Um, but it means I it means I was 12 years old when Kylie first re- uh, uh, released I Should Be So Lucky. It was the first record I bought, uh, £1.69 on seven inch vinyl from my local record store. And I'll never forget it. So I'm of, I'm of that age. But the people that were in the theatre, there was a lot of people older than me, which I thought was quite interesting. But there was also a lot of younger people who were absolutely loving the show. And I think that's, I, I truly hope that it gets a transfer to the West End and becomes one of those musicals that runs and runs because it makes you feel good. You know the music. It finishes with Never Gonna Give You Up. I hope that's not a spoiler. But my God, everybody's up bloody dancing. You know, it, 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 it just was an amazing night in a theatre. One of the best I've had for a long, long time. And it sounds like full of nostalgia. And for all of us and most people who listen to this podcast have got um, some relationship with the PWL era, even if they came to it late, they've got a relationship. It sounds like it was full mm. of nostalgia, which is a pretty special thing as we're all getting older and that era is getting further and further back in history, <laughs> right? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I think, Tell yeah, us, I, I mean, you know, uh, I, I remember, what, you know, when, when I was a, a kid, and I've still got the seven-inch records that I, I bought at the time, that, that I went on to cassette single, then on to CD single. Um, but the logo, Peter Will had, had two different uh, slogans. It was Today's Sound, Tomorrow's Technology, and it also had uh, the sound of a bright young Britain. And now, I don't know where it's come from, but somebody has, has renamed the soundtrack to a generation. And that's exactly what it is. And I think that's what you saw, or that's what I saw, should I say, in the theatre last night, in that 
it was it, it certainly was the soundtrack to my youth without a shadow of a doubt you know when you go from something like i should be so lucky and when you even dip back further songs that have have have, have become my um that, that were before my youth but become part of my culture you know banana armor's venus hazel dean you know what an amazing artist she was um it it absolutely is a soundtrack of a generation uh, and my generation and it, and you know it, when it comes to pete it was lovely to hear his voice at the beginning um but then you you go on to things like steps and stuff it yeah it, it, it it's so happy go lucky it's so positive that even when they were doing sad songs it made you feel good that absolutely when it comes to nostalgia yeah you 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 bathe in it in that show weaved in amongst what it was a very very funny storyline i was laughing all the way through like i say there, there was a little bit of adult language but that added to it it made me absolutely howl with laughter when it comes to and i and again i won't spoil it but there was a line with the granddad oh my goodness that made me absolutely howl um but the the cast they were fantastic absolutely fantastic uh here in the uk um they it, it featured very briefly on our children in need telephone appeal um and i don't think it did it justice at all at all and i think if anybody looked at it thought oh i'm not sure about it ignore that it was not representative of what this show was it's it's just such a funny show that um i actually i i, I saw it in manchester as i say because uh, i lived in manchester for 15 years um uh, but i now live in glasgow but i wanted to go to the last night of its first run uh but it's here in glasgow in february and i'll be going to see it seeing it again because it's just such a great show so i i encourage anybody ignore any kind of negative reviews you've seen is not reflective of the show I saw last night. Well, James, you've certainly given us a, a balance to the to the last podcast where it was, <laughs> you know, I don't know if you heard it in full because a lot of people are writing outraged yet then acknowledge that they actually didn't listen to the podcast. I just want to ask one thing before you go. Thank you. First of all, thank you for balancing out um, your review. Um, it sounds like if people listen to this, they probably will pick up a ticket and go and listen to it. Um, one of the themes that is coming through is about audience members needing to be warned or even kicked out of performances for singing and making a bit of a ruckus. Uh, did you see any of that? Not at all. I did I did hear that on one of the first early performances in Manchester, there was some sort of problem, but I don't think it was anything to do with singing or, or whatever it may be. As far as I could see last night, yes, people were singing along but it, it wasn't outrageous and, you know... It, people were singing along. To. Yeah, people were singing along. Of course, when you know these songs and you've known them for 30-plus years, of course you're going to sing along. We're getting um, very mixed messages on this one because I've had... I can't even tell you. At least a couple of dozen messages have come through. We certainly had Lee on the last podcast. And I'm getting a split message on that but people are telling us that the the theater actually specifically says don't sing along some no. sort of announcement at the beginning um and well, then the, the, um, to, to be fair there is yeah. pete waterman himself 
in his intro that that's obviously recorded intro does say share the love at the end that those are his words so right. I, but I, but i think that's more to do with you know getting up and dancing and singing and and being outrageous people sat in their seats and just you know singing along you know fairly quietly Right. That that's the experience I had last night, and uh, as I say, I was in the stalls, so I was very much in the heart of the action. Um, but I could hear everybody singing, but I could certainly hear the the, the performers over that. Yeah, so it wasn't enough it, to drown out or disrupt. Absolutely not. And then yep. just like you know, Mamma Mia was you know I I think was was the first of these that you know did it so well that. At the end of the performance, they come back on and they do three numbers, and that's when you get up and dance. And what I should be so lucky the musical has done, I also think is very clever that they've weaved in um, a performance into the the curtain call for the performers, and that's when you get up and everybody gets up, and 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 it is a you know a real good feel good end to the musical. Um, but I certainly didn't detect any problems. The only thing, you know, slightly was the theatre wanted to keep the exits clear. That you know, the 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 um, the aisles clear. But that's a that's a fire risk kind of thing that they, that they would naturally do. There was certainly nobody saying, "Don't do this, don't do that." Absolutely not. And from um, from memory, uh, the cast were actually on a show uh, here in the UK, the BBC Breakfast Show, um, saying, "No, we want you to sing along." So actually, they're encouraging it. So, you know, I, I don't think there's any problem. If you want to go and sing along and, and sing along to, you know, the songs of your youth, go and do it. Absolutely. Yeah. And just make sure you're getting the lyrics right. That's all I can add. Well, I think most most of us, if, you know, if, if you're of a certain age like me, you would have been sat there uh, reading it on, on the, uh, the vinyl uh, lyric pages, you know, you, you'd have been learning every word for word. So I don't think you'll have a problem with learn, knowing those words burned on your brain, I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. James, I'm so glad you enjoyed it. I really am. I, I think that uh, fills my heart. And um, Stock Aiken and Waterman have a special place in our hearts, really. Uh, they made amazing music, and it's great to see that something is keeping it alive and that it is bringing joy. Maybe not to everyone, but <laughs> to most of the fans, by the sound of it, it is. I, I think most of the people who go to see it yeah. will absolutely love it. I think, you know, if, if the odd critic doesn't, well, you know, more fool them. But uh, from every audience member I could, I could see last night, they walked out with a very, very big smile on their face. Good on you, James. Thank you. A pleasure. Sometimes amateurs know best, and the lack of professionalism is all you'll hear on the Time to Talk show. Join Tim and his panel of guests as they wade their way through a range of news, music, and pop culture treats. Time to Talk, the show hosted by amateurs for unprofessional listeners. Hello team and listeners, this is Kim from Finland again. I haven't listened to your podcast, your fabulous podcast for a while because I've been very busy, but today I listened to many, 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 many episodes and I have a few opinions again. Um, and now because I listened to so many episodes, I don't remember who said what. <laughs> I don't want to get into an argument, so never mind. <laughs> but anyway... This is all about Kylie and Madonna. Uh, to be clear, Madonna was always my number one up until 
uh, in the year 2000 or so. Because after that, I just think that Kylie has made better music. It's as simple as that. And then somebody said, I think it's what, it was this Sonny person. <laughs> Hi, Sonny. Um, um, that said something about this, that Kylie doesn't have this impact that Madonna has had. And that's very, very true. But I don't bloody care. First of all, I'm so sick and tired of celebrities having all these political opinions because they are always opposed to my opinions, except when it comes to gay things, because I love my gay divas, so to speak. Uh, but Kylie to me is escapism, or however you pronounce it, Ex escapism. Sorry, English is only my third language. And also... I don't care if Kylie is not the biggest star all over the world. She can be this little secret of ours. I'm super fine with that. And uh, then you were talking about Rebel Heart. And it's actually one of my favorite Madonna albums. I, I love it. It's like this lasting album that I, I just listen to it year after year after year. And I really love so many of the songs. And also the leaked demos, they were, in my opinion, many of them were better than what ended up on the album. And my favorite track on that album is probably Hold Tight, Everything's Gonna Be Alright. Oh, I love it. Then you were talking about remixes. And I used to love remixes. I always bought the vinyl, the maxi single vinyls and the CD uh, singles and everything but I think that both Madonna and Kylie after Ray of Light and after Fever I really haven't liked a lot of the remixes for instance I just listened to the Tension remixes they were so bloody boring there is one Padam remix that hasn't been released officially I don't know if it's a fan remix I don't remember its name now but it's a really good remix. And um, a shout out to the um, the Nothing Really Matters remix by Madonna. The um, Kruder and Dorfmeister remix. It's so damn beautiful. And also I love it when Ofer Nissim does remixes. I don't remember if he's done Kylie, but many of Madonna's songs and they are great. And then... Hmm, I'm checking my notes here. Um, I think you, Tim, said something about this, that Madonna gives you something and Kylie gives you another thing. And it's the same for me. I turn to Madonna when I need to feel empowered. And I turn to Kylie when I need to just feel joy. Um, for instance, every time I do something that's a bit difficult or traumatizing like the other week i was going to the doctor and i was very scared then i listened to madonna to the ray of light album because it's the best album and finally now that i've been living with tension for quite a while i must say that i think it's one of my favorite kylie albums i love so 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 many of the songs and it's on my top three it's tension 
and its golden and its impossible princess in some sort of order. It probably depends on how I feel that very particular day. But anyway, those were my little notes and opinions, and I hope you all are doing well. Bye-bye from Kim in Finland. Welcome to the show, Nate. How are you? I'm great, thank you. How are you? I'm awesome. And what a pleasure it is to talk to you because you sort of reached out to us with the last podcast that's gone up and we're talking, whoa, I'm getting so much feedback, Nate, about the the musical, I Should Be So Lucky, because I suppose the conversation we had wasn't as flattering as some people would like. But your message came through and it was a little bit different because it wasn't so much about I Should Be So Lucky, the musical. You said to me something that grabbed my attention as it would you said I've actually written a Kylie musical myself yes that's, that's pretty right. amazing thank you <laughs> tell us about it what did you what did you write and and I understand it's even been performed once yes um it, it came about as an idea that I had I, I had gone ca- through cancer at the same time as Kylie went through cancer mm. and the same treatments uh, and I wanted to exercise during my treatment and while I, I was out running, I would play Kylie music because, I mean, Kylie, you know, she's been my hero uh, and my idol for most of my life since Neighbours. Uh, so oh, Sorry, can music... we just take a moment here, Nate? Mm-hmm. Let's reach out our knuckles. Let's do a knuckle bump. You and I, you and I together since okay. 1986, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. or thereabouts. Mm-hmm. Lifetime of Kylie. Mm-hmm. I can feel you on that. So you're going through treatment and she's lifting your spirit, so to speak, with her the positivity of her music. Absolutely, yes. Mm. And while I was running, I would do little scenes in my head with all of her music. So if a song came on, I, I would I would think of a wee scene around these songs and knit them together as, as a little play. Uh, and I did that for fun. And it, it wasn't until later on I thought, these are actually wee scenes that could be part of a, a bigger thing, a, a musical, a story. Uh, so that's how the the idea of your disco needs you, the musical, uh, was born. <laughs> wow, this is amazing. So we all do it. Like when we listen to a Kylie song, particularly before the video clip comes out, I create my own little visuals and possibly yes. a little story. So yes. it sounds like that's what you were doing, but then you somehow went a step further than the rest of us. You st- stitched them together. I did. I found that what I'd started doing was inventing characters that I thought, oh, well, that song fits that character. That's That collection of songs fits another character. And I thought these characters could all come together. Uh, so I decided to, to write a sort of an over-umbrella sort of theme that uh, Grace, this uh, dance club owner, was desperate to find money to keep her dance class going because it was falling apart and she was going to be evicted from her studio if she didn't actually bring some money in. Um, So I thought, bring all these characters together that I'd invented, four other characters, together in this dance class. Uh, As I understand it. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah. As I as I understand it, it's it's the four characters are four uh, female characters. Yeah. I'm yeah. imagining that was quite deliberate because of what you were going through. 
yes. and cancer and a cancer that affects women yes. and uh, the the Kylie factor that was happening at the time as well. So these four characters, what do they do in Your Disco Needs You? Do they sort of collaborate to save the dance school, do they? Yeah, they, they do. And and also each of their own problems gets addressed uh, through working with each other and helping each other. Because um, Emmy is a reflection of myself who was going through breast cancer treatment uh, and found the advert for the dance class so that she could carry on exercising uh, throughout her treatment. Uh, Sophie, another character, she'd lost her job, lost her identity and her confidence. Uh, and her husband was an alcoholic, so she was desperate for something to fill her loneliness void and give her confidence back. Uh, and uh, Rosie, she'd broken up with her long-term girlfriend uh, who told her she couldn't find love in a room full of women. So she felt it was it was a an opportunity to prove her girlfriend wrong. Uh, and Jan, uh, she'd been with the, the class, Dance Graceful, since the beginning. Uh, she'd also been with her boyfriend since the beginning of time, she felt. Uh, and she felt that his overprotectiveness was suffocating her. Uh, but it's better she... the devil you know, right? Exactly, exactly. How did you know? How did you know that was her song? Oh, my goodness. I know Kylie's catalogue so well, Nate. <laughs> you did, and, and plus, I, I must admit, you... I, Look, this is going to sound really strange, and I I apologise if, if, if it's creepy in advance. You've got the most beautiful spirit. I'm I'm really vibing with this conversation, and we oh, only just you. connected five minutes thank before. You. So yeah, I'm feeling this musical coming together. Yes. Um, four different story, well, five storylines. The four yes. individual women's stories, and then the one about saving the dance school. Yes, and is it dialogue and music together? Is that how it yes. works? Yes, it is. And actually, Kylie's songs are the dialogue as well. So I wanted to use her songs seamlessly as dialogue. You know how you get some musicals where they they do their dialogue and then they come out and sing a song and it's not relative to what they're they're talking about. So you almost turn some of her lyrics into poetry, which then continue into song almost. Yes, Exactly right. that, exactly mm, that, Tim. Wow. <laughs> now, I understand that you approached um, yeah. people in Kylie's camp about, because she, we all know, if all, all Kylie fans know that she's been working on a musical for many years. It seems to have stalled. Yes. I yes. should be so lucky the musical is unrelated. I can confirm yes. from the one that she's been working on. Did yes, you reach out to right. Kylie's camp and what happened? Oh, yes, yes, frequently. <laughs> And I had many conversations with them. They were very, very helpful um, to let me know what I could do and what I couldn't do. Um, so, yes, uh, it was all very, very positive. Um, she she did say that she was, you know, happy to let it go ahead. She couldn't endorse it because she was doing her own musical, as you say. She was writing her own. So she couldn't endorse it in any way, but she was very supportive of it. Um, but when you I, say she was supportive of it, because listeners won't know yet, but I know because I just quickly read your bio you staged it was it for charity is it right Nate Yes, yeah, we staged yeah. it in 2014 for a breast cancer charity uh, mm. to raise funds and awareness, um, mainly because during the bl- break we had a, a nurse uh, do a self-examination um, talks, quite funny, on a pl- pair of plastic boobs. Oh. And, oh, my goodness, <laughs> it went down so well. Um, you know, so, again, we'd raised awareness as well as raised funds for the charities, the two charities that were involved. We put on five shows. 
and every single show had a standing ovation. And you did it five times. Five wow. times. And okay. it was sold out. Uh, and, and we had, you know, um, uh, we did have a PRS license for a musical, dramatical uh, musical, uh, which was a particular license to allow us to do it for a set amount of shows. Uh, so that gave us the you know the, the legal opportunity to stage it yeah uh, that and permission you needed yeah, right yeah and so. and kylie indirectly had given her blessing to this yes uh, certainly our manager said you know good luck with the uh, we we hope it all goes well and they were happy to support that uh, but as i say kylie could not say that she endorsed it in any way because it wasn't what she was going to be doing, you know. I mean, I can understand that entirely if Kylie said, oh, yes, I endorse that, and then everybody thinks, oh, this is the Ki the real Kylie musical. <laughs> you would have <laughs> Which, had to move you know. to a bigger venue as well. Oh, yeah, we definitely would. <laughs> <laughs> wow, neat. What a great little story to come out of our review of the I Should Be So Lucky um, podcast. I've got to ask, a lot mm. of blood, sweat and tears goes into mm. writing something like that too. I mean, yes. it sounds like you had the ideas, but sitting down and constructing it and then planning it in yes. real time on the stage, a lot, yeah. of, a lot of effort. <laughs> oh, we had an amazing team. We had an amazing production team. Everybody was extremely supportive. We workshopped it. Uh, we worked on it for a year before we actually staged it. Uh, and then when we did stage it, we couldn't. It was as if fate brought everything together. Uh, you know, we had, uh, do you remember Tim Noble, Kylie's choreographer from yes. a while back yeah yes. he came he came in and did some of the choreography oh for stop it that's oh, yeah. amazing oh my god it, it was it was honestly and every sort of dance sequence was like watching a kylie video you know it was just oh. it, it, it made me cry every time i watched it you know oh you're giving me little goosebumps i wish i had been there i wish i had oh, been there it's fantastic it really was and i'd like to do it again i mean i have been thinking maybe the 10 year anniversary <laughs> uh, so that's where was up it staged Nate? For those in the UK, where was it staged? It was staged at the Mitchell Theatre in Glasgow. Right. Oh, in Glasgow. On, yes, right. in October, Breast Cancer Awareness Month, uh, October 2014. Oh, wonderful. Uh, so, and as I say, we were sold out. Every single performance was sold out. And I honestly expected people to say, oh, that was rubbish or that was amateur. But the, the reviews, we actually did an evaluation as well. And people had said things like, I didn't expect that. That that could be on Broadway. That was so professional. That that made me laugh, cry, and everything. It was everything a musical you wanted to do, you know. So I was really, really surprised at the the reception that we got. Congratulations, <laughs> Nate. Congratulations, thank and thank you so much for telling us about it. Now I understand I, uh, your disco needs you have a musical that you wrote. Yes. People can read it, can't they, online yes, somehow? Yes, yes, Tell they us can about read that. Yes, um, the actual, I've put the script into a, a graphical musical. So you've got pictures from the actual musical oh, yeah. on it telling the story. Um, obviously, I couldn't use the lyrics from the songs because they're copyright protected, but I changed the dialogue so that you could understand what I was getting out of the song. Right. Uh, and it's also linked to a Spotify playlist so that you can actually link directly to the, the music in its order uh, and, and hear what we were trying to say. Because, I mean, songs like, um, you know, you know the the ballad type songs uh, that we that would normally have been fast songs we slowed it down um i think one of the, the biggest scenes for me i felt uh, that the police stay 
the song was slowed right down to a ballad. Oh, beautiful. Uh, and it was, it, it, honestly, it would it would make you cry. It really, it really, really would. They were almost <laughs> going to do that for the Abbey Road sessions too. Yes, mm, yes, exactly. And in happen. fact, I used Abbey Road sessions to show I should be so lucky. Yes. That that was yes. a duet um, between the two main men in the show, but each on separate parts of the stage talking about their own experiences. And wow. that was slow and beautiful and had tears in everybody's eyes. It was absolutely lovely. That is amazing. So it sounds like it was really, you know, it can be, it was tender as well as uplifting, which is it probably was. not surprising because as a person, that's exactly what you were going through at the time, right? <laughs> it, yeah. it was, yeah. Neat, if people want to reach you on mm-hmm. socials, can they? Oh, yes. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. Tell um, people can, where they can, can find me. you. It's I'm neat. On, I'm on Facebook um, as Neat A. Nielsen, and that's N-E-E-T-A-N-E-I-L-S-O-N. So it's Neat A. Nielsen on Facebook. Beautiful. And we'll try to put a link in the description as well. Neat, thank you for telling us all about it. What a what a beautiful little gem to fall out of, by the way, the, the severe backlash that we're receiving as we speak. I don't know if yeah. you could hear my phone pinging there. That's a lot of people <laughs> abusing us. Oh, I should no. be so lucky for music. Oh, well, no. I, I didn't oh. even think about it, to be honest, Neat. We just did this podcast and we had a conversation with Lee, who happened to go, and he just gave his honest thoughts. He wasn't trying yes. to slag it off. But um yeah, but obviously a lot of people have put a lot of effort into it, so yeah. I sort of I'm respect that to some it. people are up to that. You're going, are you? <laughs> oh, yes, when it comes to Glasgow, I'm definitely going to go and see it. It's something I'm looking forward to. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, I keep hoping that one day Kylie will reach out and say, I'll have yours after all, <laughs> you know, um, because exactly. it's still there. Well, her story, it's still right? there. Yeah, yeah, that's, well, that's right. It. Maybe just pick up and develop yours and <laughs> there you go. Lovely. Ready to go. lovely. <laughs> I do dream that. <laughs> oh, we all dream that Kylie will reach out to us in <laughs> different do. ways and uh, in different intensities, Neat. Um, <laughs> it's been lovely talking to you, though. Thanks Thank for reaching you. out. Thank you so much. Thank you. Whenever I listen to Tim and his panel of guests, my toes begin to curl and I feel just the right amount of tingling all over my aching body. Now, let's get back to the show. <laughs> Welcome to the Fortress, Sean. Thank you. You are one of the people who's going to offer a little bit of balance to I Should Be So Lucky, the musical, because you've been in the audience. Am I correct? Yes. Yes. Go for it. Free shot. How did you find the show? I loved it. Um, I mean, I one of my earliest musical tastes was Kylie. My first album I ever bought was the fir- Kylie Minogue. Uh, and and from that moment on, I absolutely loved Kylie. And Kylie has always been a constant in my life. So to hear that Stock Aitken wanted music and everything that I loved about my childhood and, and, and made me feel safe was was very much a right, well I've got to go I've got to go and see it. Um so I want to pick up on something you just said that because it really resonates with me. That music, not just of Kylie, but of PWL, Stock Aiken mm-hmm. Waterman, made you feel safe in your childhood. Yeah, yeah, because the the as uh, growing up as a child is is never easy, uh, and and especially when you when you're at that age when you 
I mean, I, I, I'm I'm open, I'm an openly gay man, and I'm in a, a wonderful marriage of 15 years. Um, Congratulations uh, to my husband, and it's it's very much been a case of when I was growing up, when I was getting bullied at school, it was my music or my Walkman that that took me away from that. When I was having a difficult time, even throughout my adult life, when I was having a difficult time, I remember being in Thailand um, with my first boyfriend and we'd been together for four years and we were celebrating our four-year anniversary and I had 10,000 songs on my iPod. It was one of the very first iPods and one of the very early Kylie Minogue songs came on um, and, and it was I'll Still Be Loving You um, but it made me realize I wanted to split up with my, my first boyfriend. Wow. And wow. That, it was that kind of resonance that, that the songs have. Um, and, and, and when I've gone throughout my ad- adult life and I've, I've, I've battled depression and, and I've done, th- you know, and, and, and it's, it's been songs even yes you know songs that have kind of pulled me back from that depression even yesterday i was walking through manchester city center and it was christmas markets it was thousands of people everywhere and i walked into a shop called primark uh we call it primarnik because it's like tap for everybody um and as soon as i walked in 10 a wall of ten thousand people and but i was listening to my music and what came on, Kylie, get out of my way. And it was just so <laughs> on point. Perfect, it was right? Like, it was like, <laughs> oh, my God, did I actually pick this song? I even put a, a status on Facebook. It was, it was that on point. It was like, it's, lucky, it's lucky Time Bomb didn't come up because that could have been much, in yeah, the terrorist yeah. realm, right? <laughs> pretty much, yeah. So, so I, I, music has always kind of spoken to me at, at certain points, and, 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 it's, it's, and, and, and especially Kylie Minogue's music, and Kylie's has, she's had a massive influence of, of making me feel safe, whether it be as a child when I was having a difficult time, whether it be at home, whether it be at school, or as an adult, when I was having a difficult time battling my own depression, my own demons, or, or you know, just just life in general. Um, so so to, to hear a Stock Aitken and Waterman musical is, is, is coming to Manchester, it's debuting, Man- debuting in Manchester. I wasn't lucky enough to go to the first show. One of my friends was. Um, and they are even bigger, massive uh, PWL fans than I am, um, and and they loved it. Um, and and I went in, I went into the musical, and I thought, right, I, I don't want to listen to anybody else's opinion. I know I'm going to love the music, and that's 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 a given. Um, but what is the what is the show going to be like? And, and I went in with that opinion that I, I didn't want to be influenced by others and i think with with the social media it's so it's so easy to be influenced and so easy to take down a musical um by putting a bad review out there so wherever possible if i see something that i dis i disagree with then i will i will add a comment like i've done like i did with yours um and and and, and that's kind of where it led to today 
Yeah, and listen, I think that 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 story you told, by the way, very powerfully, that Kylie's music resonates with you, helps you sort through the complicated parts of your life. It's not unfamiliar to the listenership of this podcast, at least. Mm. It makes a lot of sense. If you said it to most people in your family, they'd probably go, you're nuts. But we all get it. Sean, yeah. what was it like sitting in the uh, theatre for I Should Be So Lucky, the musical? Tell us about your experience. It was ma- it was magical. It was just from the very first moment the, the, when the songs came on and it was it was I should be so lucky and it was they were they were doing the build up to the to the, to the initial the the, the wedding uh, scene at the beginning um, it, it, it was magical and, and you didn't and and, and the, the moment when Kylie came down and and she was first revealed on the the screen there was you could hear people gasping it was it was it was just everything you wanted in in at that moment in that musical and yeah the the, the storyline is never going to be winning awards it's something that's probably been done a thousand times and it'll be done a thousand times over again um and i think the difficulty that that, that people have done is, is they've gone in there and straight away they've compared it they've got a lot of comparisons um so like mamma mia for example mamma mia was was a is a perfect example where where they've they've gone in there and they've co- compared it i mean i've been lucky enough to see a lot of musicals when they first come out um and i think jukebox musicals are, are very much ones that i love um again you know, I went to back in I think it was two thousand three. I went to New York and I was lucky enough to see a jukebox musical called Dance of the Vampires, and it had Michael Crawford, and it was very it was Jim Steinfield um, music. So it's Bow of Hell and Meatloaf and uh, and and all that, and and it was, and I was I was lucky to see that, and 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 you know, so I, I love those kind of musicals, but I, I go in there with with an open mind that I, I don't want to be influenced by what other people have said. I, I go in, I, I want to, I want to make my own opinion of it first. So in this case though, Sean, you went in, you kept your open mind and mm-hmm. from the beginning you were swept away. And I'm assuming that the music, the dancing, the singing, the staging, everything was right to you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as, as I said earlier, the the, the storyline was never going to win any awards. It's something that's been done a thousand times. Um, but the way they brought together the music, um, the different songs that they used. I mean, I love. Again, if you if you're a Stock Aitken and Wharton fan, you know the little the little songs, the 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 the, the album tracks. Yeah. So, um, not not everybody would be. An early Carrie fan, for example. So, um, Telltale Signs, Enjoy Yourself. These are songs that are, are from an album that absolutely was one of my favorite. It's still one of my favorite albums now um, that I will listen to and I will religiously listen to it. On, on your podcast, there was a lot of talk about the Turkish waiter and the, the Turkish yes. monsieur. Um, and the good. Th- what I found about it, I mean, I'm very much a bear, uh, or a, a, of the bear community. Um, so to have a positive gay relationship 
I mean, you've got the stereotype of someone goes away and, and they, they meet a waiter and uh, a Turkish waiter and they get swept up by love and all that. Yeah, you've got, you've got a lot of stereotypes. What I found about this musical was it, it was it was all about relationships and all about building relationships and how relationships are built and how relationships are maintained. Um, and to see a gay relationship build where you've got two bigger men falling in love was 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 again it was a very positive thing for me and you and i've gone to musicals where you've seen um to stereotype what you what people would say stereotypical gay um thin good looking toned and they've fallen in love um I'm, I'm quite lucky living in Manchester that I've got these theatres. I mean, I'm going to see Tu Wong Fu on, um, on Tuesday with, with my friends um, at a theatre just around the corner from where I live. One of the things we spoke about in the last podcast was that the audience wasn't allowed to participate. Do you agree with that? Some people have written to me and said that's not true. Um, the, I, think that, that, I think that's the difficulty you do get because... What I've seen over time with, because um, I've always loved to go to musicals, and and when I used, when I first started to go to musicals as 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 a as a twenty twenty plus year old, um, people weren't participating unless it was Rocky Horror. Rocky Horror was stereotypical. You must participate. Um, so. To go to a musical, people weren't participating. People didn't have the luxury of having heard the soundtrack beforehand, and 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 so when you had these these jukebox musicals, the the you, you you wouldn't participate in a musical like Wicked, for example. You wouldn't start singing along at, at Flying Gravity. So why would you start singing along at? Never going to give you up just because it's in the middle of a a, a new production. Uh, were people drunk and doing that? Like, oh, absolutely, sort of yeah. They, mm. When when we went, we um, we they had to stop the show because there was wow. a group of people. Um, they were started to sing along to obviously Rick Ashley, uh, "Never Going to Give You Up," and at one point, one of the guys came to the front. And started screaming about how he, he, his, his girlfriend had been brought there for her birthday, and and instantly everybody booed them, and they got thrown out because they they'd 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 gone there on thinking it was a a night to get drunk, and 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 for me, going to the theatre is not about getting drunk. You wouldn't go to a, a cinema. And start singing along. You wouldn't go to you, you. You go to a concert and you dance because that's the the, the atmosphere that you're in. It's you, you you getting performed to in in in, in that so and then there's people screaming and, and 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 that's the atmosphere you're in. When you're at a theatre, when you're at a cinema, you don't do that. And and uh, so, so for someone to get absolutely dr- trotted and start ruining it for the people around them who've paid their money to not to listen to you sing yeah you may know every single word in every single song and and don't get me wrong it, it was difficult at times for me to stop to, to not sing along but to 
get it would be disrespectful right to do yeah, it because yeah. it's, a, it's a story so sean i love the fact that you've offered us a balanced view so we had last week's podcast which mm-hmm. you know raised some strengths and a few <laughs> opportunities you've given <laughs> us some balance final question out yeah. of five stars what would you be awarding it absolutely five stars a five-star um, five review, yeah, I, I, and I think, it, as I said, it, it, the, the, you're never gonna you're never gonna win awards with the storyline. You 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 ne- it's, it's a storyline that's been done over and over again. But for the feel-good factor, for the for the, it's taking me back to my childhood. For the for the for the nuances, for the little nods to the fans, to to everybody that's ever bought a single. Or a, a stock Aitken and Walton track and danced along, whether it be in their front room, whether it be in their bedroom, whether it be at a disco, it takes you back. It takes you back to feeling good about yourself and feeling good about those around you. And 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 as I said, this 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 whole musical was about relationships and relationships between lovers, be, between people that are married, and between friends. And and that's what this this whole musical is about. It's oh. it's about love relationships. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I tell you what, I tell you what, Sean. It's it sounds to me like a real celebration. And if people are getting joy out of it, then that's all we want here in the fortress. Thanks for your time tonight, Sean. It's been a pleasure. Not a problem. Not a problem. Thanks for having me on. How and- arrogant are you to think that you deserve to go through life? with no one ever saying anything that you don't agree with or like. I I want people to stop saying that joke's offensive. I want them to start saying, I found it offensive. Because that's all it is. You're just telling me how you feel about it. Yeah. There's nothing intrinsically offensive about this joke. You don't have to pave the jungle. Yeah. You can just grow a pair and have a laugh about it. Yeah, but you shouldn't hurt people's feelings. Well, you can if their feelings are wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you you don't like the facts, don't change the facts, change the feelings, you know. (laughs) How are you, David? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm sick, but that's okay. Nobody um, cares. Isn't it really early in the morning in Australia? Uh, it's almost 7 a.m., I think, but <clears throat> besides that, um, things are rosy. Okay. <laughs> well, I'm sorry you're sick, but yeah. Well, there's a lot of crap in the world. I tried to turn off the TV. Yes, isn't it ever? There's just it's. We need pop culture now more than ever. Absolutely. Yeah, it's good escapism for sure. Yeah. Huge wars, huge amounts of refugees. It's it's very depressing. And <clears throat> I think it was Rosie O'Donnell I was listening to recently who said for people with, well, really for anyone, but she was talking specifically about people with mental health issues. She was advising to be aware of what's going on in the world, but don't sit there and consume it day in, day out because yeah. that lack of locus of control, you can't do anything about it, could be quite a despair. That's very true. That's what my mother tells me all the time because I'm a big, I, I always have the news on. I'm like, I have to shut it off. I have to shut it down, you know, find, get into my hobby thing. <laughs> you're like me then. Are you, you're a huge uh, like consumer of news. Yes. I, 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 I have, I don't know how many different websites that I'm connected to, to give me news. So my phone is constantly, okay, what's this? What's this? You know, somebody mm. dying, something happening major, like, I don't know if you heard, but 30, 30 Israeli soldiers got killed today. Mm. It's, yeah, again, again, going back to what we were talking about, 
just earlier. It's I I I had to shut it down. I mean, I, I want to know what's going on, but then it's like, and then I put on Christmas music to him. <laughs> <laughs> the opposite extreme, right? Yeah. Harry Connick Jr. He'll he'll fix it all. Yes, and I'm I'm a Harry Connick over a Michael Bublé any day. Oh, I hope so. God, Michael, bloody Bublé. Bublé, Bublé, Bublé. That's all I can say. <laughs> like, yeah. people complain about Mariah Carey at this time of year. I'm like, I want somebody to have a moratorium on Michael Bublé just for one year. Let us all yeah. recover. I agree. Yeah. Uh, does he Does he really have a huge holiday catalogue? Yes, he bloody well does. It never ends. <laughs> oh, I know God. Harry Connick does, too. I, I know Harry Connick has two old Christmas albums, but. Well, he's allowed, though. He's a gentleman. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Michael Bublé's all right. I shouldn't be so rude. I just at this time of year, you do get um, saturated with the same stuff, don't right. you? Really, right? Talking about news, Meghan Markle. You and I both have the same beef with this woman. I I did this <laughs> podcast, which I've tried to find. Right when they first first came out in the media that they were together, I did a podcast with someone, and it never made it for whatever reason, and I can't find it. But I said. Mark my words, this is going to put like Fergie and Andrew and the Diana stuff like into the shade, like what will happen. Because I said, this lady is trouble on two legs. I can see it a freaking mile off. And I know a lot of us could, but as someone who's followed the monarchy and and royal scandals and drama all my life, I just knew she was, if we thought Fergie sucking toes beside a pool with her businessman, in inverted commas, was bad, uh, this was going to be nuclear. And as it turns out, it was. She's pretty quiet these days, but she's still lurking around. Are you worried she's about to re-emerge, David? Well, yeah, that, that's a perfect word, I think, for Meghan Markle, the Duchess of Sussex, quote-unquote. Yeah, she lurks around, and she's, um, I think... She's a. I think she's a very calculated person, very manipulative person. So she she knows how to work the press. Uh, she knows when to lay low. I mean, look what she did in May for the king's coronation. She didn't want to get booed. She knew she'd get booed if she went to London. So instead, Coward. they used the the excuse about you know Archie's birthday. Oh, a four year old doesn't care what day you have his birthday on. <laughs> oh well, what better present than going to you know to the king's party as well? Right. You know, right. I mean, yeah, but I mean, look, t- to be fair, by that stage, I think she would have been a fool to come over. There was no rehabilitating her image by that stage. Did you watch the Netflix series? Uh, I I passed on it. And so a few of my friends and a couple family members are like, I can't believe you're not watching. I just did not want to give them the time of day. I couldn't. Mm, I yeah, couldn't. It's, it was hard to stop. Look, I'm going to be fair. The first episode was, I found it really beautiful. The first episode was all about, I suppose, a little bit of her childhood, a little bit of his, and then how they met. And it was beautiful. It was like any two bloody teenagers that meet, and I always find that very sweet. Like, uh, again, putting aside the whole, oh, I didn't know who he was, crap, and all of that sort of stuff, put all that aside, and and that she orchestrated the meeting. I have no doubt about that, even though they denied that, or she denied that completely. Something about Instagram, exchanging pictures on Instagram, it was a very sweet love story, and there was no doubt when they first met that it was the flush of love that two people get when they first meet, that's for sure. Um, but calculated, how long had she been working on this plan, do you suspect, Oh, to meet Harry? You know, again, I, I don't know anything about the royal family, yet it comes out years later, you know, her 
diary and and her her photos in front of Buckingham Palace and she knew all about Diana. So I think she looked at Harry as like kind of I'm going to I'm not the damsel in distress. He's the damsel in distress. I'm going to go rescue him. I thought I think that's what her mindset was on on capturing him. She knew how to work him and mm. he fell madly in love with her. Why why are people like you and I able to see her when she first came on the scene holding his hand smiling for the cameras? Why could we see right through it? What is it about her? Because people keep telling me, "Oh, she's a master manipulator. She's so clever and canny." And I'm like, "She's not. You can spot her a mile off. That's not clever." <laughs> for me, Tim, it was actually uh the sit-down engagement video. Um, I want believe me in the beginning, I wanted to give her the benefit of the doubt, but early on, I've always been very intuitive with reading people. I should have gotten into psychiatry, psychology, whatever, but, um, it was that sit down with the engagement. I'm like, she, I feel like she's acting on TV. It wasn't genuine. It was pure acting. Every time there's a camera around, you can, you can see the flicker in her eyes. She's phony. She's, she, she's not genuine. She's phony. Totally. I see it all the time. She's obsessed with her image, like to a point that people don't even get. Even if you don't like her, I can assure you, you're underestimating how much she is aware of where the camera is, what the angle of her face is, yes. what she's looking, where, she, what she's presenting in terms of her energy, her body language. My son tells me she's a very good actress. I haven't watched her on Suits, but. He loves the show. And he said, Dad, I know you don't like her, but she's really good in Suits. Yeah, as Rachel. I mean, I never got into that show. Watched a couple. I mean, you know, for what the show was, she, you know, she's your typical TV actress. Uh, I watched, I tried to get through one of her Hallmark movies, OMG. Oh, Yeah, I mean, I think most people would think she's more C or D list. There's very deep-seated problems there, David, and I know that there was a guest who came on recently who told me, you're not a psychiatrist, <laughs> and I'm like, okay, <laughs> fair enough, but I have my view. When you The story she's told, because I've listened to her, I've watched her Netflix, I listened to her Spotify, the Spotify um, podcast Archetypes, which was absolutely a masterclass in manipulation. You should listen to it. It's horrendous. And she keeps telling this story about when she was a child. Have you heard this one? There was an advertisement telling women that there was a dishwashing liquid? Yes, yes. Yeah. Oh, God, she loves telling that story. And But for me, she struck me as that little girl who value, who who calculates her value based on how other people perceive her right from that age. Because when she tells that story, she's a lot less focused on the change that happened and more about what the teacher said, what her dad said, how her mum reacted, how people all over the world reacted. You've got to listen to it. Listen to all the versions. She's told it at least four times. Listen to every version. Every version, the emphasis is on the perception of her, not how she felt intrinsically, right. but the ex extrinsic reward she received from it. It's fascinating. Right. Yeah. And and she also got praise from Hillary Clinton, right? And it all, go all the way to the First Lady. Exactly. There was, and she loves it. She, all these people. My teacher told me how good I was. Hillary told me how good. Whoever it was, you know, mm -hmm. fascinating. So, for me, at the end of the day, even though I find her a very unlikable character, 
underpins everything that she seeks. Her, her main value system in life is affirmation, the affirmation of others. She needs it. She craves it. And without it, she feels worthless. She last month, no, it was actually September. She was at a charity benefit with an A-lister, Kevin Costner. Here she is on the stage. Like, it's all about her. Somebody's walking over to give the, the microphone to somebody else. And she's like, oh, me, me, microphone time. It's just everything she does. It's like, oh, it's always about you. Always about her front and center. She's crafted how to be demure, classy humble like these are the acting lessons now they're not real they're not authentic megan but around it she's realized that it's to be uh ambitious and raw and just going like a bull at a gate is unattractive i wish she'd just do that because that's herself she's a highly ambitious and if she just came out and went that's it i'm going to take it a bit like eva peron did fine that's who you are i can accept that but she's wrapped around the diana factor she studied that and tried to wrap that around the nugget of her, and it's incompatible. It's a terrible combination. Yeah, agree, agree. It's uh, to for anyone to try to, no one, even even Mother Teresa, you nobody could compare themselves to Diana. We'll never have that again. There's tons of videos where you see her break character and drop face, and right, and you would think. She, I mean, she's smart. She's going, she's going on, on media and looking, looking stuff up on her, on herself. I know she is. You would think she'd be a little more keen on, on knowing when she's dropping that, that, that face, you know? What's her end game? Do you think she, she used her connections to manufacture a meeting with Harry. As you say, he, she probably instinctively felt his vulnerability and his absolute need to protect, because everything about Harry is he needs to protect ever since his mother died. And I've read his book, and yeah, his psychology is really fascinating and sad as well. Mm-hmm. So they were always going to end up together. But what's her end game? Because these two can't last. It's just it's a it's a terrible, terrible, terrible match. Uh, right. Over time, it's a terrible match. Anyway, it was I'm sure it was very healthy for both of them for a point in time. I think they've got two children now, don't they? They've got Lilibet and Archie. Right. What's her end game? Is it politics? Does she want to be the president? I I think that's the only route she can go, Tim, because Hollywood is turning their back on her. Uh-huh. Um, George Clooney, who was invited to that wedding, not even knowing who they both were. <laughs> uh, him and Amal, there was a recent event, completely, you know, discarded them. You're not our friends. You're you're phony you know <laughs> all about oh just because you have duke, duke and duchess well he's a prince so he's also a duke that you know that's we'd rather hang with william and catherine <laughs> because they're true royalty <laughs> and class that's but, right yeah, so she doesn't have the hollywood she i mean the podcast thing was a disaster they have their netflix thing which they haven't shown a lot of promise with so the yeah tim i believe that the only thing she can do and she's a master manipulator and i think she's lied quite a bit yeah going to politics that's right up your alley girlfriend it's very fascinating how she's cut off everybody right so the the in-law family no contact her own family no contact there was even one lady who i can't remember who she was but 
uh, she came out in favour of Megan or spoke positive in positive terms. Uh, she's apparently estranged as well. There are so many friends that are now estranged from Megan. It must be a very sad place to live in that world where if somebody is of no longer a use to you, you don't keep them in your life. And for Megan, what does of use mean? It means somebody who admires her and sort of worships her. And the moment that they say anything critical, she she cuts them off because that goes against that principle of I need affirmation, I need to be perceived as smart, creative, intelligent, all the things that she wants to be, right? Must be lonely. Yeah, you would think, right? I mean, I think what it, what it is is she's used people as stepping stones. Mm-hmm. And then people, you know, word of mouth gets out there. And for both of them, and I, I, I wonder... I, when Harry has his alone time, does he think to himself, what kind of woman did I marry? Of course. And then does. Tim, think about it. They, their children have nobody because she's cut off her family, except Doria. And then his family's cut off. So those poor little kids have no cousins, no aunts, no, nobody, no family, nobody. There was no accountability in that Netflix documentary. I was waiting for that. I was waiting for the one moment where I might see a glimmer in her eyes of I could have done that differently or I didn't handle that well, but everything was about how they were blamed. But this was the part that stood out for me of the whole, how many hours was it? Two, four, six, eight, maybe about 12 hours worth of documentary. The story that stood out for me most was, and God knows why they told it, David, they had an argument, Megan and um, Harry. They had an argument and he raised his voice at her and Harry's telling this story, not her. And Megan composes herself, doesn't say a word and vacates the room. And Harry talks about how shocking this was because in his upbringing and in his world, you, you stand up to each other and you yell and you have it out. But he goes in, he finds her sitting on the bed, such, a, such an image. And Harry, people say he's not bright. I don't agree with that, but he's telling the truth. When he walks in the bedroom, she's sitting sideways on the edge of the bed. And he's basically, I'm I'm so sorry, my love. I'm so sorry, my love. And she goes, if you ever talk to me like that again, I'll leave. Everything with Megan is cutting the ties. I'll cut the ties with that business venture, that person, that family member. It's reactive attachment all over. There's very few people who go, I'm in Team Megan. Very few. Even young girls who you'd think would be up for that shtick, they don't. They see right through her as well. I don't think she makes friends very easily, this girl. I'm sure she never did. And she doesn't keep friends, certainly. So uh, when I'm sitting there thinking about Megan and how much I dislike her, I try to rationalise it to be fair to her. I try to think, well, she must, must come from a source of pain. I would think so. Now, you're a Diana fan. How does it it must rile you up when you see her trotting all over the globe trying to be Diana? Yeah, I, 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 hey, I even knew Kate would, as much as I love Catherine, the Duchess, uh, excuse me, Princess of Wales and Duchess of um, uh, Cambridge. I'm not worried about that because no one will touch Diana. No one will touch her light ever. 
we'll never see that again. I always say that to people. And, and again, I always tell people, yeah, I'm, I, she's a very flawed woman and she had her issues. But I think with Diana, you got real. You didn't get phony. You didn't get manipulative. You got a real woman who was broken, but who had a heart of gold. And all she wanted to do was help people and make people feel good and let them know that we're all the same and we're okay. And Megan is all about money and power. That's it. Any manipulation from Diana, I think, really came from a place of survival as well, because there was manipulation there. She was certainly manipulating the media. <clears throat> and oh, she could yeah, sure. well, yes, yes. Diana was very good at that. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and people, when she was even her self-described arguments with Charles, they were manipulative, but they came from a place of survival. She was doing it to survive. With Megan, she's doing it to climb. Yes. And so that's that's the difference for me. One is yes. sort of a human experience. The other is, well, it still is, to be honest, but it's a, it's a much more unpalatable reason. Diana wasn't an actress, and Megan is, so hello. <laughs> <laughs> there were stories about the interactions between Megan and Catherine, or Kate, that really, like, I must admit, they were delicious to read. Did you read the story about when things were really bad and they finally had a sit down together? Um, Kate, William, Harry, and Megan. I was not aware. Maybe I was. Maybe I forgotten. This was obviously when they were still in the royal family or yeah. working. For, be, be, I'm sorry, in the institution. They were preparing for Harry and Megan's wedding, and things went off the rails, and. William did not like Megan from the start, pretty much. Kate tried, I, I believe, for longer to be accepting, but eventually became very wounded and hurt. In Harry's book, this is from, and he describes how um, Kate sat there and her fingers were in the couch, uh, what do you call them, the, the arms of the couch, so tight that, Kate's finger, the ends of her fingers were white. That's how hard she was pushing into it because she was so tense and didn't want to be there. Right, right. And I did, I did hear about that with the, 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 numerous, the numerous stories I have read. Yeah, see, I've never, I didn't read Spare and I didn't watch their, their Netflix series. So, But granted, I watch a lot of vloggers and read a lot of British news. So mm. try to stay away from the tabloids because, you know, how much of that is real and truth? <laughs> It's so stressful for them both that they go to a, a therapist of some kind and the, ther the therapist puts things onto tape for them to listen to. So they're back in their, you know, penthouse apartment and they're doing yoga on the floor. <laughs> Have you seen that? And they've both got their eyes closed and the tape's going, you are good enough. You are okay. Oh, the world no. is wrong. And then the tape finishes and she just puts her hands down slowly opens her eyes and just wipes the tears away. And she's deliberately left her hair, you know, not quite as manicured as always because she's always communicating out. That was deliberate too. She's unbelievable. And she just thinks everyone's so dumb. Mm -hmm. Can't sleep through it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What That's would brilliant. you do if, if you came across Megan? How would you, would you talk to her? Would you turn your back? You'd no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say anything to her. Mm -mm. You wouldn't? Mm -mm. Nope. 
That's the God honest <laughs> truth. If I saw Ka- Catherine, I would probably faint. But yeah, but yeah. Megan, no. <laughs> I'd be like liar, manipulator, <laughs> vindictive, opportunistic. <laughs> and that's just all on your t-shirt, right? right. <laughs> <laughs> so, what do you think their strategy is right now? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, well, I mean, their strategy sh- should be to do charitable work and not make it about them. Mm. Anything that doesn't make it about them. When she, I don't want to get off topic, but I mean, when she was at the Invictus and at the Invictus Games and came on the stage a little late, she's like, "Oh, she made it about her and her kids." And oh, we stopped for milkshakes. It's like. No, it's about the people out there. Don't talk about, they don't want to hear about your family. Stop Mm -hmm. it. So (laughs) I think honestly, there's an article actually, I was looking online and it said, um, it's from the New York Post, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle want to drop poor me narrative to keep making money. So the question is, is what are they going to do? They're going to try to make money. She's, She's trying to get the bodyguard too with Kevin Costner. Get out. Yes. Stop it. Yes. Look it but up. But that's what Diana was going to do. Yeah. That's why she wants to do it. Oh, dear <laughs> Lord. That's sickening. So, I hope that's just a rumor. That's that's awful. Uh, look it up. To, there's, uh, I mean, there's been a, it's been kind of a, a rumor flying around for the last year, I'd say. Mm. Mm. But going back to your question, what's their next chapter? What's their next move? What, what can they do? What can he do besides charitable work and... Uh, go into some (laughs) rally to give somebody an award Uh, but see that's what what he would want i would think david harry i think he's he has no desire in fact quite the opposite because of all his experiences again having read his book i think that he would happily go and live in africa doing wonderful things because he's a genuinely good person and Mm -hmm. definitely an outward facing person and he right. doesn't need, in fact, I think he, he despises, well, we not, not I think, he says he despises the media attention. Right. Whereas how's that compatibility with her? There's no way, even though she's been very quiet for about 18 months to two years now, there is no way that is her long-term plan. So how does that work when he wants to lay low and do charity and and promote world causes and good on him, which, by the way, what does that sound like? Royalty work, right? So mm-hmm. it's, he right. might have left the royal family, but that's in, it's in his DNA. How does it work when that's not her strategy? Fascinating. Yeah, and that's why I think that in the next two, three years, there won't be a Harry and a Meghan, because mm. they really are different people. They're, yeah. they're the same in victimhood. I think that's what bound them together, pretty much. But what else do they have besides that? Well, it's it's an ongoing soap opera, David. I'm looking forward to seeing how it unfolds, I must admit. For everything I've said today um, about Megan, I can't keep my eyes off her. I don't know. what I'm, I'm just that type of person, though. I pass a car accident and need to stop the car and go and right. have a look and see if anyone needs any help and if I can be nosy, basically. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what happens next. It's going to be interesting. Well, su- supposedly the TIG... You know, that website, uh, the well-being yeah. website she had had before she got into royalty. I guess she's rebooting that. And then another thing that she's supposedly um, working on is her memoir. But again, what kind of people is she going to have around her to say yes, no, yes, no? Because 
we're kind of tired of hearing about you bashing the royal family. What's what's her memoir going to be like? You know, King Charles just didn't understand me. <laughs> well, people go on about Madonna, you know, laying her life too bare. I've never seen anything like Meghan. I don't know what else there is to tell. I know every step of her childhood. I know every teacher she ever had. I know how she got into acting. I just don't understand what it would be, but it would be sickening to read because if it's anything like the podcast and she has no insight into how she's coming across, so self-indulgent. Mm-hmm. So reading a memoir from her, that would be the hardest challenge of all for me. Listening to right. it is one thing, but picking up the book and reading it, there. Been there, done that, move on. We're tired of you. You guys are a one-trick pony. Enough. I'll leave it on this. I hope that he reconciles with his family. And I hope she reconciles with hers as well. But yes, I just think. Agree um, 100%. Yeah. I, Agree to disagree. Some- Family's gold. And yeah, they, they can get really annoying. And he's from the most famous family, but and there's issues there. But you know what? There's still blood. Agree to disagree. Shut up. Live your life. Be kind. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Wise words there, David. Has it been fun being back on the show? Yes, I always love doing your shows. I appreciate you reaching out to me for this, being the royal lover I am. <laughs> well, I knew from your Facebook that we probably had something in common over the Megan <laughs> situation. Yes. So I thought, we need to do this once and for all. So, David, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much, Tim. sincere thank you to you. You have helped get the fortress out of lockdown. The siege is ended. Have a listen. Silence. As soon as we aired those counter views, those vigilantes, they backed off. They, well, We could see them. We came scurrying out of our bunker. We climbed up to the turret up there and we could see them backing off. They were satisfied. They'd been subdued. And that wouldn't have been possible without your help. Thank you. What is that? Oh, for the love of Whitney. You're listening to Time to Talk.